millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, the 15th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. 300,000 adults have not been vaccinated in this country. Many of these people cannot get vaccinated through no fault of their own. Indeed, a small number of people are advised not to get vaccinated for medical reasons. And two, there's a significant section of Irish society for whatever reason has decided not to be vaccinated. The reality is that the vast majority of the 300,000 people who have not been vaccinated have chosen not to protect themselves and others from coronavirus. And these individuals have waited very patiently. This is Padre Tobin TD claiming in the doll that anti-vaxxers have been waiting patiently for it to be okay to refuse to get vaccinated. Uh, many, of, many of them have felt discriminated against. Indeed, they have been discriminated against. Discriminated against? It's hard to understand that assertion, it has to be said. How anti-vaxxers have been discriminated against? No, I believe every adult should be making that decision for themselves. Right, but they do have the same rights uh, as everyone else. Uh, They're choosing not to get vaccinated. Uh, They're making that choice uh, through their own free will. They've made that choice, and that choice has consequences. Consequences for anti-vaxxers and, indeed, for all of us. Here we are now where we're saying to a whole cohort of the population, 10%, at least 500,000, 600,000 adults uh, in the States, that that discrimination against them is now likely to continue potentially until Christmas. These people are not just risking their own health, they're risking your health, my health, our families, our neighbours and our colleagues. Why are they allowed to do this? Not only are they a public health hazard, but the result of their actions is no less than treacherous. There is now a risk that the country will be held back again, restrictions may not be lifted next week, and if we aren't out of the woods yet, is there a risk that, apart from sickness, death and recession, that we also face the risk of more lockdowns. But Padre Bean sees this somewhat differently and the aim to TD is worried about the impact that all of this is having on the anti-vaxxers. Enormous mental health implications, weddings, family events, etc. that have been organised post-October 22nd will now have to be radically altered if, if this is the case. So, A peculiar point of view. That's uh, Peter Tobin, who's on the line. Good morning to you, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Are you an anti-vaxxer? 
No, I'm not. And I've taken the vaccine myself. And the vaccine has been one of the uh, major tools in relation to suppressing the illness. And if you've listened to anything I've said over the last uh, uh, 12 months is that um, we called for vaccines to be rolled out as fast as possible to all of those who wanted to take the vaccine. Um, But I am struck um, by the fact that when we entered this particular crisis, the mantra was that we are all in this together. And now we have a situation where some people are, are othering individuals, calling them names, pointing the figures. Uh, they're and choosing not to be in it all together. Making, making them feel like they're, they're, they're pariahs because of a choice that they have made in relation to this. No other country, for example, um, has implemented um, a purely vaccine passport. Uh, well, you can't go to work. You can't go to Ireland work in Italy. Had. You can't go to work in Italy uh, if you for as long it, as Ireland has had. You can't go to Ireland. work. You can't go to work in Italy if you've not been vaccinated. Do you know why? Uh, because people going to work don't want to get sick because some fool has come in and decided that they're not going to get vaccinated because of population control or some other nonsense that they've been reading on the internet. Well, first of all. I wouldn't be calling people fools uh, at all, Michael, for the decisions that they've made. I know certain people who have issues with their heart. Uh, for example, they've issues... We're not talking about those people. Well, to, to be honest, a good cohort of the people uh, who have, have decided not to take the vaccine are in that uh, situation. And mm. those individuals shouldn't be called treacherous or fools or anything else. Uh, in actual fact, if you look at Denmark, Denmark is a country that has a lower rate of vaccination than ourselves. Um, it has a lower rate of COVID than ourselves, um, and and you know they have no um, uh, restrictions anymore. And the reason being is because they actually introduced something called antigen testing. Antigen testing is what we've been calling for all this time, and antigen testing is actually far su- more superior in relation to stopping the illness. Because you know you and I who are vaccinated can get COVID, and we can spread COVID to our uh, workmates. Yeah, but there's less uh, chance of us getting COVID if uh, these non vaccinated people but, 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 but if, get if you vaccinated. have a, an test which shows that you don't have the illness that's a far superior um, performance indicator with regard to the chances of you passing that illness to anybody else and it's incredible that you must have heard hundreds of TDs come on your show over the last 12 months and talk about oh yes we're looking into va- uh, antigen testing and yes we'll, we'll, we'll see about Do you believe testing. in the right to bear arms I mean the American constitution no, no, and look, stuff about walking but, down the street with guns but, but listen to what I'm saying, Michael. An antigen test finds out whether or not you have COVID and whether you can spread COVID or not. Uh, having a vaccine doesn't indicate whether you have COVID or you can spread COVID. Antigen testing is a superior tool to stop the spread of COVID. That's why countries such as um, Denmark, who have lower rates of, of vaccination, have also got lower rates of COVID. But you're defending, and, and you're idea, defending people uh, who are deciding not to get vaccinated because I, I because just, they believe that Bill Gates wants to kill half the world. Uh, and you're defending, all, you're, defending, def- you're defending... I, I oppose, the, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, I oppose conspiracy theor- theories. But I also... I do you oppo- do you oppose... Really there, there'll, be a, there'll be a protest in I Dublin today. There'll be a, discrimination. Well, I, I actually... Op- there'll be a I protest... I oppose the idea that people's civil rights can be taken off them. So um, I, oppose, I oppose segregation of individuals. You, 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 you wouldn't right support now, cutting the dole from those people who will be out protesting in Dublin today. I, the only reason they'll be out protesting I, in I, Dublin I, today I, is because they don't have a job and they've nothing to do but spend the day on the phone. 
Michael, I, I, first of all, I've never been involved in any of those campaigns or, or marches or, or demonstrations. But listen to this. Like, I, I grew up, you know, l- hearing about countries like South Africa, where it had signs yes. that certain people weren't able to go into Yes, we know what apartheid is, and this is being described as medical apartheid, no, which but, it's but, not. But there, there, there is a level of segregation here that's happening, and No, it's there isn't. And no, there isn't. It's the well, same well, for everybody. What you're, saying to, what you're saying, Michael, to one citizen is you have a right to come in, and the other citizen, you don't have the no, equal right to no, come into this. No, 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 that's, that's half the story, and you know it. What it you're, is what the you're actual say, physical what, what, reality what you are every saying, single day for what, many people. What you are saying, well, that's because they're making decisions, but they have the same choices but as everybody else. Saying, and what, what, just let me finish the point for a second. What you're saying to both citizens is uh, you have the right to get vaccinated, which will protect you and your family and everybody in this country from this virus. Uh, and if you decide to get that vaccination, then you have the right to come in. If you decide okay. not to, then right. you... Uh, don't have the right to come in. It's the same. It's the same. uh, The difference between your view and my view is I believe that human rights are universal. I believe that civil rights are universal. I believe that every citizen on the basis of the fact that they're a citizen of this country has a right to equality. Mm. What you're saying is actually that uh, uh, the rights to equality is dependent upon a, a rule that a government can bring in at any stage of, of well, the game. Well, if I walk down... That's not what a republic is about. If, a I walk, is, if I walk down the street with a gun in my hand, uh, I'd be discriminated against because I can do it in America, but I can't do it here. Okay, so you're, you're saying discrimination should be on the basis of the danger that the person is to another individual. Yes. So what I'm saying to you then is that if I am, I'm vaccinated, I could have covid and I can spread COVID to you, while a person who is unvaccinated, who has had an antigen test, doesn't have COVID and is less dangerous than me. But you're saying that I have superior rights to the other individual. No, if you have COVID, you should. <laughs> no, you haven't. You, if you have COVID, uh, your rights are, are gone. You have to isolate. You know the rules. But, but, but I could have COVID and not know I'm COVID. I like that I have COVID. I could com- be completely asymptomatic, be vaccinated, have COVID. Well, it was a very good. Can, you're saying it, it, I can no, go into a restaurant. No, I'm not, not saying that. A person who is who is not vaccinated, well, well, fine, have, who a, have, an have, test, have antigen. It is, is not a danger. Can't go in. Okay. So you're actually discriminating not no. on the basis of danger here. No, but no. on the basis of of an arbitrary decision by a government. No, have antigen tests as well. That's no problem. There was a very good analogy that was put forward by Professor Philip Nolan yesterday that going out with symptoms is the very same thing as drink driving. And if you have symptoms or if you know you have COVID and you go out, well, by God, you should be imprisoned. But but now we're reaching reaching a point of agreement, Michael, because all we've said from the very start is if you're going to have a pass for hospitality, include a vaccine pass if you want, but also include a antigen test for those who are not vaccinated no, we're, we're, and for those who are vaccinated and in actual fact No, I, 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 ha- I don't want to go into a restaurant from the 22nd of October I'm not going into a restaurant if non-vaccinated people are allowed in I'm not going into a pub I'm not going to, uh, into a library uh, and I, I don't want to work here if people are coming in here if they're not vaccinated Well, oh, 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 and then there's the flip side of this not only is the, the system that we have less effective against um, uh, uh, COVID because obviously it doesn't stop people with COVID going into ho- uh, hotels or restaurants anyways mm. at the moment um, but also what you're saying to a whole section of, of mm. society of hospitality that your ability to earn an income is now going to be radically reduced No, uh, no, uh, no, no No, 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 no that's wrong, that's plain wrong I'm supporting the hospitality sector who are saying exactly what I am The hospitality sector is on its knees The hospitality sector 
Did you not hear what they said? Yes, they said they said keep the COVID passports, keep the vac- non-vaccinated people out. Let us uh, increase uh, the table sizes. Let 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 us stay open late uh, for vaccinated people only, so everybody can come, everybody can feel safe, everybody can have a happy Christmas. Michael, the, the hospitality sector has actually been saying exactly the same thing as that Ainsley have been saying over the last while. Introduce antigen testing. Like if, if in, in, in Denmark, on a daily basis, there are 500,000 okay. antigen tests. They're free. Get vaccinated, people go, do people an antigen test. People go to their local pharmacy or, or a local place mm. at, at 5 o'clock and, and in, in 10 minutes, get yeah. an antigen test. Have that included. Do you know what on, the hospitality sector are saying as well? That these idiots are coming up to the door saying, uh, under the constitution, I can come into this restaurant and all this bloody guff out of them. And I'm not wearing... And I'm not wearing a mask. And I'm not doing this and I'll do whatever I want. These are nutters. And they have to be either excluded or, or brought to book. It's as simple well, I, as that. You know, for, for hundreds of years, people have called other individuals' names They've yeah. taken their rights off them. They have discriminated against them, and they have segregated. But them. I don't. I don't know we, if you we, have we people should, in your family who are. I don't know. I don't know if you have people in your family who are vulnerable to COVID. Uh, people who are at risk of very sil- serious illness or death, and that's what this comes down to. This comes down to love and respect, loving people I- in your family uh, and indeed in your community, and having respect for them. These people do not have that respect, and if they want civil rights, they have to act civilly. Here's the deal, right? I would disagree with you because the fact of the matter is, as I said, and, and you're not listening to this, you can be vaccinated, have COVID, and spread COVID. I am listening to it. And, and that's a really important point. Yes, I agree. So, so your premise is based on the fact that you, if you're actually vaccinated in some way that you're insulating uh, people from the illness. You're not, actually, because you're still potentially a, a, a transmission of the illness. You are. You actually, you no, are, hold, hold you're, on you're, second, in, you're increasing the chances. No, no, you've you've made an inaccurate statement because that is not the premise for my argument. I am saying grand have antigen testing. The yeah. more, the more, the better. But you no, are no, no, you, you're you are antigen testing. You're not actually calling people who haven't got antigen tests fools or idiots or, or stupid people and, and actually people no, I'm, know, t- I'm, 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 saying, I'm saying I'm saying people who believe that the vaccine the, the vaccine is a way of getting a chip into your uh, into your body so that you can be controlled I think that's foolish absolutely yeah, I don't agree that's okay. pure baloney I'm, I'm there's no I'm doubt about that I'm, no, say, nobody, I'm like, saying uh, that people that that, that that claim that this is a, a part of global depopulation are fools. That this I, would is, agree, I would agree that's a very foolish yeah, view to have, the, absolutely. And there's the, no, there's uh, nobody arguing with you there, Michael. And these, what these, I'm, what these, I'm these, these the are the I'm people saying. who are dangerous. These are the people who are refusing to wear masks. These are the people who are walking around shops uh, and uh, putting their face into other people's face uh, I, and causing... Uh, and ending up in ICU, by the way. Can I actually briefly come in there, yeah. please? Mm. The people who are dangerous over the last year are the government who haven't introduced antigen testing. Because antigen testing is by far the most superior way to stop the transmission of this illness. This country would have the same metrics as Denmark, a population of exactly the, roughly exactly the same as this country, that has a third of the level of COVID that we have, that has a lower level of vaccination, mm. but has introduced antigen testing on a widespread basis. It is the key success factor of that country. This government has known about it. Okay. They refuse to implement it. And that's the dangerous decision, Michael. Is prevention better than cure? Absolutely. So okay. if you prevent the transmission of this illness, it's yeah. better than cure, for sure. So, and so antigen testing is the best way to stop the, the transmission of this well, illness. Well, where does the vaccine fit into that? It, 
it is also a, a useful tool. To okay, it, but so, it, so it you'd is encourage not, everybody. It is not as strong as antigen testing. So you'd encourage everybody to get the vaccine. Absolutely, I've, uh, I've taken it, the vaccine it, myself it, in tandem with antigen testing. Yep, if 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 I can get an if I if I have okay. any symptoms whatsoever, I will take an antigen testing uh, in relation to before I, I will get involved in the social activity. Okay. Uh, and what I'm saying, should you do you think we should follow the uh, Italian example uh, and uh, stop people from working with others if they haven't been vaccinated? No, I, I, I think the idea that a state will come in and say to one citizen, you have the right to earn a living for your family, uh, and another citizen. Uh, you have the rights. Uh, uh, you don't have the rights to earn a living. For well, you, well, that's for not any reason. That's an interpretation. Because, it, because I mean, of the color of the skin. Yeah, because no, of their but sexual you can orientation, No, no, no. Or you because can, of their religion, but, or whether or not but they're it's taking not a medical for, procedure, I think that's wrong. Well, it, it's. I mean, it's uh, uh, putting people on. It's putting. It's putting. No, it's putting. It's putting people on an equal footing. You both have the right to work on an equal basis. Everybody is equal, Michael. Yeah, everybody is equal. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you you have the right to work uh, on the same well, basis as anybody else. It, it's a, no, an no, equal no, no. proposition. Everybody has the right to work, Michael, in this country. Mm. Anyways, not every, just it, it is a human right, the right to work. Mm. It's not it's not a dependent right. Mm. And when we start taking human rights and taking say, say to them, your human right is now dependent on Pe- something else. That's when a country starts do, to go amiss. So, so so do people have the right to go around with guns in their pockets? Shoot people or, or walking down the street with a, a potentially a killer disease? Well, well, first of all, many people have um, uh, illnesses that are transmissible uh, for a start. So if, if you're going to say to a person that your right to work is based on whether you have a virus that is a threat to your life, well, then you would actually have to include things like HIV, Michael, in fairness. No. Um, no. Absolutely, because HIV is a transmissible virus uh, and, and has the potential to, to end a person's life. So, of course you know, it does. It's really dodgy ground it's getting into a space to say that on the basis of the illness that you have, your rights are dependent upon it. We're not in the same kind of crisis with HIV, nor could we be. No, but, but there was not a time where we were, the same and way. there were people at it, that time, you know, trying to discriminate against people who had HIV, and it was wrong then and it's wrong now. It, it, all I'm saying to you, Michael, is if we want to fix this solution, fix it on the basis of science, the best way to stop the transmission is antigen testing. The, the government has refused to introduce antigen testing into this country, and therefore we don't have the same metrics as the likes of, of Denmark. And we have a, a far, imagine we have nearly 94% of the adult population vaccinated. We have 100% of those who are over a, a 70 vaccinated, and the government wants to a, a increase or um, extend the, the, the restrictions. Uh, and yet we have countries such as Denmark and Germany and other countries uh, who have had high levels of antigen testing, and they have fractions of the level of COVID in their societies. Right. Uh, should people have uh, the right to protest against vaccines and to call on other people not to get vaccinated? I'm, I'm afraid, again, I believe in the, uh, the rights to demonstrate and I also believe in the right to freedom of speech. I, I, I am wedded to the idea of democracy. OK. All right. Uh, talk to me a little bit, if you will, uh, about uh, the hospital in Navan. You did another Save Navan Hospital meeting last night. Uh, the fear is that the emergency department in the hospital uh, is about to close uh, and uh, that's not uh, the case uh, according to Thomas Byrne. The Minister was with us on the programme the other day. Maybe we can hear briefly what he had to say. This hospital is going to see more people in it 
it's going to see more procedures done mm. and I'm going to ensure that there's more services uh, to, yeah, to when the emergency order. department closes but 250 million euros emergency department is not closing Michael Stephen Donnelly has ordered a halt to any plans for that he has had nothing from the from the from the HSE on this we've had nothing on this it's not happening um, and we want to get back and meet the doctors and see what the concerns are that we've read about really through rumour and speculation. We want to see what exactly the concerns are. And well, you read the HSE it. letter which says that the board met in July and uh, they've decided to close the emergency department and with that the ICU beds. Well, I, I can tell you that myself and Minister Damien English had a meeting with Stephen Donnelly, a number of meetings over the last few weeks. And in fact, we've spoken to doctors too. Okay. And why weren't the opposition TDs invited? Well, we're organising a meeting which is what we want to happen between mm. all of the TDs and county meads and the medical people okay. uh, in Navin Hospital. That's what, that's what we want to achieve. But yeah. Stephen Donnelly has decided to order the HSE not to proceed with this while we just see where we are, because we certainly have no information about transition plans. We have no information about what alternatives are there. We have no information about what uh, what, what, what the full plan is uh, on this. And okay. as but do you accept that the HSE decided in July to close the emergency department and with that the ICU beds? The HSE has been looking since 2013. You accept that that was the case? HSE, you, you've read that letter, Minister. The, H, the HSE has been looking to close this, not close it, but to change services uh, since 2013. We've been told... We've but been you told accept that in July of this year, the board met and made a I'm decision to you, execute that? I want to tell you what Minister Donnelly has decided, which is tell the board of the HSE not to proceed with this. Being two things there, very briefly. One, you're to be invited to a meeting with government. And two, Minister Donnelly has told the HSE not to proceed. What's your reaction? Well, first of all, um, I I would love for Minister Donnelly to make a public um, declaration of that um, and uh, indicate that to the people. Um, Secondly, I'm I'm amazed why that meeting was held only with government's TDs and that... um, Opposition TDs and County Meads were excluded. I think that was absolutely wrong. Um, I contacted Thomas Byrne yesterday to see when we're going to uh, meet with the, the Minister and we weren't given the date. Um, in part, I was told, because of Brexit and in part because Stephen Donnelly is himself isolating uh, because of uh, COVID. And not that he has it, but that there's a potential that he has it. Um, and I just think it's incredible that we have had a letter from... Um, the HSE to the hospital saying that the A&E is going to be uh, ended. Uh, we have had staff within the hospital tell uh, um, other staff within the hospital, management that are telling staff that A&E is going to be ended, that we have had the Ireland East group tell the unions that A&E is going to be ended, that we've also had a um, an answer on the record of the doll saying that A&E is going to be ended, that all of the evidence is uh, pointing in this direction, where the, the hospital is saying openly, you know, that this is the case, that nobody's hiding it from the hospital or the HSE's perspective, and yet we're asked by by, by Thomas, you know, to you know take the word of a minister uh, to on a meeting that you know we weren't invited, uh, that he won't say publicly, and um, you know, Minister Donnelly needs to come out publicly and say that the A and E in Navin and the ICU beds in Navin, and remember. They're looking to close the front line of this battle against COVID at a time where they're looking to extend these COVID restrictions, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and, you know, that, that, that threat is over. Uh, the minister needs to delete that line from the small hospital framework document. And to be honest, the Save Navin Hospital had a great meeting last night. Um, and we said, without a shadow of a doubt, that our bottom red line on this was that the government have to delete that line from the small hospital framework document. The threat to the hospital
hospitals must be lifted completely. And actually, rather than HSC planning for a future where we're being reduced in services, we we need to get to a situation whereby um, we are starting to invest in further resources into the hospital to okay. make the hospital Full stronger. steam ahead with the protests at the end of the month. Then. Absolutely. Okay. And I, I'm delighted to say that a large number of organisations have already committed support uh, to okay. us. So Mead and District League, OMP, Park yeah. Villa, Simonstown, okay. Navin we, Cougars, we, we, Navin Taekwondo. We'll hear much more about that in the next couple of weeks, uh, but we have to leave there for the moment. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning, though. That's Thank A2 you. founder and leader and TD for Mead West, Peter Toby. Michael Reed on LMFM. Yeah, thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us uh, today. An awful lot of comments coming in to us uh, this morning. Paddy Duffy saying the 10% of uh, people who have not been vaccinated cannot hold the 90% who have hostage. Sometimes Paddy Tobin likes uh, to uh, be on the other side, to be contrary for the sake of being contrary. He's definitely wrong this time, says Paddy. Valerie Andrade says, Michael, I'm fully vaccinated. So are most of my family. I do not accept that we should take away someone's rights, though, if they choose not to get vaccinated. They are not stating any conspiracy theory. People are fully vaccinated and are spreading COVID. There is clear evidence of this in the way that they behave. I would rather sit beside someone not vaccinated that has taken precautions and continue to do so from the start of the pandemic than someone who is vaccinated who is not taking precautions at all. Thank you indeed. Somebody else says, uh, what if someone is not vaccinated uh, and that's because they can't get vaccinated for medical reasons? How dare you? Uh, We did say at the very beginning of the programme, there's many people who are advised not to get vaccinated, but we weren't talking about those people this morning. We were talking about people who chose not to get vaccinated because they read something mad on the internet. Uh, Somebody else in touch saying, for people who can't get the vaccine due to medical reasons, should they be excluded from having a nice Christmas? I think antigen testing is a great idea for indoor dining. At least them, you know, everyone is COVID free. Thank you indeed. It's a very valid point. Uh, And uh, I think uh, one uh, that would need a little bit of imagination uh, to be tackled if we were insisting on people, generally speaking, being vaccinated, you would have to facilitate people who are advised not to get vaccinated somehow. Somebody else saying, the only nutter nutter is you, Mike. Shame on you. You actually sound evil. Shocking. I'm embarrassed for you. Thanks uh, for letting me know. Uh, Another text from Pat in Balbriggan who says, Michael, you're dead right. I see people here in Balbriggan this morning heading for the train to go to work and anti-vaxxers with their cardboard boxes with slogans on it heading out on their protest after collection, <laughs> collecting their dole from the post office. They should be working. Professional protesters cut their money off, says uh, Pat M. Balbriggan. Thanks uh, for that. I'll give you one more for the moment uh, from somebody who asks, does Paterto being believed smokers are being discriminated against by not being allowed to smoke in pubs and restaurants? Thank you indeed to everybody, as I say, who's been in touch with us so far today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, if uh, you're dreaming of owning your own home, if you're looking for a house uh, to buy and uh, you're looking for a bargain or at least uh, something that's not extortionately expensive, uh, you may look uh, to buy in Castle Ray. It's the only place in uh, the country where prices are below €100,000. The median price is €92,500 in Dundalk. It's €235,000 in 
Drogheda it's €268,000 in Navan €260,000 in Dunshockland €331,000 and all of this feeds into what is soaring property prices. Yesterday the CSO published its consumer price index along with the residential property price index up to August of this year and it shows increases of 10.9% nationally similar increases here uh, along uh, the border region uh, increases of almost 21%. They say that in August almost 60% of the transactions over the course of the last year happened and that out of that increase in prices of almost 10.9% 11% if you like that half of that growth was in the last three months of the year that's June, July and August in other words let's talk to Gabriel O'Brien who's uh, the director of REA O'Brien Collins uh, an estate agent uh, based in Drogheda good morning to you Gabriel and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme as always good morning Michael these really are soaring prices can they continue to increase at such a rate I don't believe that they can, uh, Michael. And just going back to the fact that, as you said, that over 50% of that increase in transaction activity took place there in August and perhaps the, the summer months. What we experienced, and indeed our colleagues in the sector um, experienced, was after the last lockdown, there was a surge of activity where um, prices increased by by um, almost um well, sorry, 50% of that double-digit increase of just under around the 10% mark in those three months. And there was a pent-up demand, a lack of supply. Um, uh, Bids came in on properties where typically it could have gone 10%, 15% over the asking price. Now, what we have seen now in the most recent weeks is that uh, frenzy and frenetic activity that was in the market, it has cooled and has slowed down. Right. So We've actually witnessed... Um, lower inquiry level so in the last few weeks. It, it was pent-up demand, in other words, which is starting to level off a bit. Yeah, I think there's signs of that. Now, I mean, the economist, uh, Michael, will say that um, property prices are going to increase, are set to increase um, over the next few years. My own hunch on that is that it, it will be at more modest increases because um, wage, wage inflation is not there. Mm. And I think that maybe we're in for a little bit of a smoother ride, albeit at a higher price level. Uh, And wage inflation quite likely uh, will be offset by the cost of living. We're looking at soaring energy prices uh, and with that uh, an increase in uh, the cost of almost everything. So whatever wage inflation there is, uh, that would be uh, offset, as I say, uh, by those increases. Most likely, Michael, and that actually feeds into, um, you know, the new home sector where there is um, a demand out there from people who want to buy their A-rated home, which, albeit um, energy costs are going up, well, at at least you're starting from a lower base with a more energy-efficient home. And generally, people are asking us now, you know, one of the the first questions is, what is the BR rating of that property? So for, for new home sector, where you can run your house and home at the touch of a button, that seems to be where there is great interest at the moment. I'm sure there is, uh, because that uh, seems to be uh, the future, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Uh, that's going to be what we're all going to have to do uh, over time. Uh, there must have been some awful panic, though, with prices increasing at such a rapid rate. Uh, I mean, 
mean, to think of prices increasing uh, by 5 6% over a, a three-month period like that, uh, it, it must be very disheartening for somebody uh, who was hoping to buy somewhere uh, and didn't get it and then looks at a, a similar uh, property three months on uh, and it's 5 6% more expensive. Absolutely, Michael. That's, that's, that's actually spot on. And I mean, we've seen that maybe some buyers who actually didn't buy during the summer months, maybe they're now, they're now taking stock and seeing what the new year will bring and maybe leave the, the, the property buying to the side for the next few months. Although mm. I have to say, we're still selling them and we're still selling properties that mm. people are buying, but, but the frenzy has, has left the market. Now, for anybody who was selling a property during the summer months, you know, and didn't have to buy in the same market, although there's not many people that have a surplus property, they did particularly well. Mm. And I, I gather that uh, people must have been asking themselves, will I ever be able to afford my own home? Because every time I get close... Uh, as close as it is, it's not close enough, uh, and then suddenly I'm priced out of it again. Priced out of it and still paying uh, very high uh, rental levels um, in the in the property rental mm. market, where you know prices have gone up um, by double digit um, increases there over the over the last year. Now I will say that for the new mm. home sector and first time buyers, the extension of the help to buy scheme to the end of 2022, where you can claim up to a maximum of thirty thousand, that's actually um, uh, that, that's that's most welcome in the in the new home sector. And um, what about the help to buy scheme? Uh, is it helping people, or is it adding to price inflation? I I don't know that it's necessarily adding to price to price inflation. Um, I know there is a narrative out there that that it's added on to the to the price of the of the house. I th- I think the main challenge for price increases in the new home sector is not the help to buy scheme. It's actually uh, problems in the supply chain and it's building cost and labour cost inflation, mm. which is w- a way ahead of um, actually property prices and general inflation in the economy. Okay. Uh, is it uh, difficult to get uh, your dream house at the moment because of the lack of supply? It, it is it is indeed, and we always encourage buyers out there to keep a, a weathered eye on the on the property portals and to sign up for email alerts. And that if they feel that 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 this may be the house for them, you know, don't hold back and let other you know bidders create the momentum. Mm. Actually, go for it because if it if it is um, and to, you know whether it's a good time to to sell or a good time mm. to buy, I think it's all about your your family family lifestyle decisions about um, affordability. I think any prospective buyer out there should stress test themselves to perhaps, um, you know, up to a 2% increase in uh, mortgage rates. And I mean, I have to say, if you're, if you're renting at the moment, I mean, that, that's, a, that's wasted money. And if you can, on balance, after stress testing yourself, afford to buy an energy efficient new home, then maybe it is the time to to take that plunge. Okay, so if you're thinking of selling and you were holding off because of the prices increasing, your feeling at the moment is uh, that uh, the next set of increases will only be marginal increases. So now is as good a time as any, is it? I think I think it is, Michael. And I'll just okay. give you I'll mm-hmm. just give you a quick anecdotal evidence that maybe four or five months ago we put a house on the market at um, let's say three hundred thousand people were scrambling over themselves uh, bidding and viewing it and maybe let's say it sold for 335 now the same house that we put on the market at 335 there's less interest at the moment there's less inquiry level there's a lesser number of bidders lesser viewing but that's because the price has increased and mm. um, I don't see those strong double 
double digit increases happening over the next few continuously over the next few years okay maybe that'll change after this call they could have uh, generated some interest in that but uh, if people uh, are looking at that particular property or something else for that matter uh, if uh, they think look that's just everything it ticks all of the boxes everything i was looking for a bit expensive uh, it's probably not going to reduce in price would that be the case i don't i don't particularly see any any price reductions in the future i'll also say to you michael i've never met somebody who's who has said to me that they actually paid too little for a property um, so, okay. so I think it's all, for anybody who's bought a home, including myself, <laughs> it's always been a big, big buy yeah. on the day that you... You, you haven't you been in Castle Ray, obviously. <laughs> oh, no, Castle no. Ray, here we come. 92500 the medium price there. A little bit different locally, obviously, but thank okay. you indeed uh, for talking us through all of that. Thank Gabriel O'Brien is uh, the director of REA O'Brien Collins uh, Auctioneers based in Draw. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. The Tonister, Leo Radker, said yesterday that in time, over the next couple of years, he's hoping to introduce uh, the living wage in this country as a minimum wage, if you like. The living wage is set uh, by the Living Wage Technical Group, and uh, this year it's at €12.90. Euro the minimum wage in this country is 10.20 in the budget that's to increase by 30 cent to 10.50 let's uh, talk to michael taft sip uh, researcher and a member of uh, the living wage technical group a uh, very good morning to you michael and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the program uh, this morning it is a, a significant increase at the same time isn't it the uh, going from 10.20 to 10.50 mm. Uh, it is. It's thirty cents. It's about. Um, uh, it's about three percent. That's going to be pretty much in line, probably sl- just slightly less than the uh, average increase in wages mm. uh, uh, overall. But we have to remember that last year, the wage went up by only ten cents. Mm. So, in one sense, it's making up for uh, uh, the decision last year. So, if you look over the, uh, if you take it over the two-year period. Uh, through COVID, it's been a 20 cent increase each each of the two years. Okay, but from January, people will be up about 10, 12 euro a week, that type of thing. That's right. It'll be yeah. about, uh, it'll be just a little bit under 12 euro if they are a full-time worker. Mm. Yeah, Sorry, uh, uh, and I take it that most people who are on the minimum wage are part-time workers. About 60% yeah. Uh, yeah. would be part-time. And even among the full-time, you know, the CSO categorizes people as full-time workers, they don't necessarily work 39 hours. Mm. Full-time is considered anything over 30 hours. Mm. So a full-time worker uh, would um, uh, receive about uh, an additional 600 euros if they're working 39 hours. Okay. But it's a small proportion of people who work a full 39 hours on the minimum wage. Okay. Uh, have you any idea of how many people on the minimum wage uh, would enjoy tips? Uh, well, there would be a high proportion of uh, hospitality workers yeah. mm. uh, on the minimum wage. Uh, so, you know, those who are in the position to receive tips, mm. uh, you know, if they're on the minimum wage, then that would supplement their wage. However, as we know, there's a real problem with people being able to retain their tips. Uh, and uh, we don't know the proportion of people of those who can retain their tips are yeah. on the minimum wage. But obviously... That would be a boost where there's a fair distribution of the tips throughout uh, the, mm. the staff. In, in where, where, where there is, is it fair? Uh, I mean, uh, you're probably doing better than somebody who would be on the living wage if you weren't getting tips. Uh, if you're working as a waiter on 10.50 an hour or 10.20 an hour and you're getting tips, uh, it's quite possible that your hourly rate would be up around 15, 16 euro. 
that that's true. But the problem is the problem with uh, basing money on tips, of course, is uh, it depends on the, the workplace that you're mm. in. Mm. If you're in a kind of a you know a, a kind of a more upmarket mm. uh, uh, restaurant, you're going to get higher tips, you know, per the wage bill. Yep. Uh, if you're in a, a restaurant which is not at that level, you get a lower tip, even though you're doing the same work. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's not exactly, it's not the fairest system. No, what it's not. What you really want to do is boost the base pay and then have a proper uh, a proper system uh, for the uh, distribution uh, of the tips. There's a, a lot of problems with it. I mean, you could go out tonight and get a beautiful meal in a restaurant and think, God, I really enjoy that and I want to give a, a good tip. It was so nice. Uh, but <laughs> the money won't go, the money that you're tipping won't go to the person who made the food, it'll go to the person who brought the plate to the table. Sometimes, not always the case, but sometimes. It's just another so, one of the flaws. So, sometimes. I yeah. mean, mm. it really, it does depend on the, it does depend on the firm. Now, mm. as we know, in many cases, it's been reported in the media, it doesn't even go to the person who, who, who actually served the food. It mm. actually uh, yeah. goes, goes, to the, goes to the owner. But uh, again, I mean, you know, interesting that you, 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 you put it that way, because if somebody receives a tip because somebody had a really nice meal, well, what happens if they didn't have a really nice meal, but the service was still the same, it yeah. was quality service, mm. people will uh, maybe experience a lower tip for something that was outside of their control. Yeah, and sometimes yeah, that's you'll... Why, that's, sometimes that's why we talk about a base rate mm. uh, that puts everybody, uh, you know... Yeah, and sometimes you, you, you'll hear people going mad in restaurants, uh, which is uh, verbal assault on waiters. Uh, you know, my food is cold! Oh, yeah, but I didn't make it. Well, actually, <laughs> you know? actually... Uh, yeah. uh, there have been surveys uh, yeah. done. Uh, yeah. Dr. Deirdre Curran uh, uh, did a, a, a very exhaustive survey, and what one of some of a huge proportion of workers uh, suffer uh, verbal harassment. Mm. Uh, now that can be actually from the employer, uh, or it might be from the manager, uh, or it might be from the customer. So sometimes working in these places, you know, it's not just about the wages, it's also about the working conditions, because who wants to go to work and be verbally harassed? Although a lot of people do experience that, I think a lot of people would find that very distasteful. Mm. Oh, it's dreadful, yeah. It's uh, never pleasant uh, to experience it, uh, and must be all the worse if you're at the end of it. Uh, But uh, that's just... uh, part of life it seems for people who are on minimum wage they're going to get that increase from january but of course uh, whether it's worth 12 euro or, or, or not uh, it, it won't really mean any improvement in uh, their living conditions uh, their standard of living uh, based on what's expected in terms of inflation that's correct in fact the uh, esri uh, did an initial uh, impact assessment of the budget uh, by and large, uh, people will experience. I mean, this is uh, you know very low, uh, very low increase after inflation. But in some cases, low wage earners could even end up uh, falling behind inflation. Well, it looks uh, that way, doesn't it? Yeah, because it, it looks that way. I, I think uh, the calculation is that if you're on about twenty five thousand euro, you're only going to be up two euro. Uh, and if uh, you need an extra tenner a week for your fuel next year, that means you're down eight euro in reality. That's correct. Uh, uh, you know, with the the impact of the uh, inflationary spikes, which are heading, you know, towards four uh, percent uh, inflation, at least in the short term, uh, what you could find is it will be not just low wage earners, but average earners will experience, uh, uh, you know, 
a real, what's called a real cut in their wages and their living standards. That is, there will be a cut after inflation. So uh, the you don't want to get into a situation where wages chase prices. But what you do want to do is ensure, uh, through whatever mechanism, that people don't lose out. Uh, you know, and for instance, I mean, for employers, for good employers who are paying wage increases, it must be very frustrating for many of these good employers because mm. they're trying to uh, remunerate uh, uh, their employees, and yet they find that uh, for for the wage increase that they give, uh, it's going out the pocket, it, it's going out higher rents, mm. it's going out for uh, higher fuel products, yeah. and so the employee doesn't get the experience. Well, they, uh, they, they face the same energy increases, of course, so they're paying their staff more, but it's also more expensive to run their business, and with the increase in those prices, there's that knock-on effect, because diesel will be more expensive, it's more expensive to run a truck, it's more expensive to heat a warehouse, so the cost of the products from source are going to increase and they'll increase in supermarket shelves and the cost of living it goes into that spiral and everything gets more expensive so you're paying out more whether you're an employer or, or an employee uh, but there's less coming in it seems well that's correct and uh, especially with uh, fuel products because as you say fuel uh, you know just so much of what we consume uh, there's a fuel there's a, a fuel input into that uh, so as you say, uh, it's not just about heating your house or heating uh, the warehouse or the business. Uh, uh, this will feed into, uh, eventually this could feed into uh, food items, uh, uh, everyday items that have to be transported or indeed imported that have to be imported from uh, uh, Britain or, or in Europe. And they'll experience the uh, uh, impact of the higher fuel. It will eventually make its way into the final price. And it's the consumer that pays the final price. Okay. Right, well, it'll be an interesting year ahead, uh, I think, uh, as uh, people come to realise what they're up and what it means in terms of uh, their spending power, Michael. Uh, But we'll leave it there for the moment, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us, as always. Michael Taft, uh, CIPTU researcher, is a member of uh, the Living Wage Technical Group. Now, um, a listener to the programme uh, who's somewhat upset uh, I think uh, it's uh, Siobhan uh, I think uh, who was in touch with us uh, I think yesterday and then got back uh, to say I only read out part of the comment and why didn't I read it all out uh, because uh, it was very long I think Siobhan she says uh, she doesn't want to hear me saying that people should be getting vaccinated and not listening to that stuff on the internet which is what I've been saying and she says if Michael wants to get vaccinated more power to him if the vaccine works he's protected if it doesn't work why force people to get a jab that doesn't work Uh, well the vaccine works up to a a point uh, but it'll work all the better if everybody gets vaccinated Uh, I think uh, that's uh, what we've been told by the experts Siobhan she says Waterford 99.7% of adults vaccinated yet Waterford has the highest Covid cases in uh, the country second highest vaccinated in Carlow second highest incident rate in Carlow again if people want to take the vaccine more power to them but this is a hate campaign and a, a witch hunt against people Uh, that choose not to be vaccinated it's disgusting and she says uh, that this is dangerous rhetoric uh, and uh, that she also goes uh, on to say that 60% of COVID cases in hospital are vaccinated it does not stop infection or transmission it reduces symptoms if unvaccinated people get sick they have symptoms and are homesick vaccinated get sick they have no symptoms
victims walking around infected and unknowingly asymptomatic super spreaders who is the biggest public health risk uh, and she says she wanted me to read that out uh, in its entirety today thank you indeed uh, for that uh, uh, oh, uh, Oh, Siobhan, that wasn't Siobhan's comment. I beg your pardon, I mixed up comments there. Uh, another, th- this is Siobhan's comment. Uh, she said, uh, I want to comment on the programme this morning. Uh, don't know who the last comment was from, but thank you for it all, all the same. Uh, she says, I've always been a fan of uh, the show and commended Michael on the way he puts his view across, but yesterday morning show was a disgrace. I'm a fully vaccinated person who has absolutely no problem with someone who chooses to get a vaccine or not. We live in a world where we have free choice, or at least should have. Michael insulted unvaccinated people with his derogatory comments accusing them of uh, the country not being able to open up because of them not being vaccinated and he called them stupid and also that they couldn't spell properly I as a vaccinated person can carry the virus exactly the same as an unvaccinated person therefore how is an unvaccinated person more of a threat than I am explain this Michael if anything, we as vaccinated people are more of a threat to the unvaccinated people because we can both spread it, but the unvaccinated are more at risk of getting severely sick. Michael, you're a disgrace. I'll never listen to the show again. Uh, she's uh, just uh, wants me off the radio. Thanks, uh, Siobhan, uh, for that and for sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, it's certainly proving to be an interesting conversation and it's clear that not everybody agrees that people should be getting vaccinated or should... Uh, Uh, have to get vaccinated. Uh, Tommy says, Michael Reid is not God. It's disgusting behaviour from him yesterday and today. Tommy is vaccinated but he goes on to say he believes that people have the right to make their own decisions and their own choices. Michael is breaking all the rules. He's uh, going to lose a lot of listeners about this. Uh, Pat and Carabin Cross says, it was a great debate this morning. The best he's heard so far. Angela says, there were 43,000 people in Britain who were given false results, walking around, mixing with people yet Michael just keeps going on he sounds like a right bully Angela says well thank you for sharing that with us as well Angela another uh, call about this from Kira who says antigen tests are not reliable she knows of four people that have used them and they gave the wrong results one listener says that the vaccine has obviously gone to my head Michael I've lost the run of myself Uh, well if I have it's not because of the vaccine how could it do that that's a that's nonsense. Um, Michael Indrahada in touch. He says, uh, thanks for talking pure sense, Michael. We need more presenters like yourself who are not afraid to challenge these people who don't care about the people around them and are willing to put them at a severe risk. Keep up the good work, he says. Joe says Michael Reid is absolutely spot on with his arguments about masks and the vaccine. He's the only commentator with the guts to call it as it is. It should be no vax, no entry. Thank you indeed, Joe, uh, for that. And uh, I suppose everybody has the right not to get vaccinated if they don't want to. But if that puts others at risk, the point where making is why should they be allowed to put people at risk and that was the point that I was making to Patrick O'Bean if you want to carry a gun fair play to you but should you be able to carry a gun uh, if there's a chance that you'd shoot me and kill me Uh, and we've been living with this virus for so long but here we are uh, on the brink of reopening or at least that's where we thought we were up to about a week ago and it seems like it's Two steps forwards and three steps backwards uh, as things stand. But thank you to everybody, uh, whichever side of uh, that debate you fall on. uh, Hopefully we've given you some food for thought and thank you for sharing in those thoughts and sharing your thoughts with us for that matter through our phone lines, our text lines, social media, WhatsApp and so on. Thank you indeed. Michael Reed on LMFM. Farmers have been promised to just transition. So what's the evidence of change so far? The evidence is we are importing peat from Latvia. Now, Latvia is in the European Union. They have the same laws uh, as we have. 
we are importing wood from Scotland and the real possibility of significantly increasing uh, the importation of tonnages of beef from Brazil. Now, that's the reality, literally, on the ground for farmers. So, but it wasn't just Thonishta that agriculture was overlooked when it came to new supports. It's the sting in the tail when it comes, for example, to the reduction in the flat rate fat, I think 5.6 to 5.5%, 0.1%. Doesn't sound like much, but it means 7 million to farmers. But it was also the fact that 49 million from carbon tax receipts that were supposed to go into agriculture has been deferred to social welfare. Now, deferred, my question is, is there no policy or programme to support the agricultural sector in decarbonising? That's independent uh, TD, Marion Harkins, speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday, uh, and uh, she joins us on the line now. A very good morning to you, Marion Harkins, and uh, thanks uh, indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Tell us about this €49 million. Euro. What was it intended for, and should it not have been ring-fenced for that purpose? Well, good morning, Michael, to you and your listeners. It's a while since I've been chatting to you. I'm actually here at, in my car at the moment in North Leitrim at the moment so um, I'm a different part of the world but you know something a lot of the things that matter to people in this part of rural Ireland matter to the people who are listening to your programme mm. and to come back to your question um, about the uh, 49 million it's recognised by everyone that agriculture has a lot of what we might call heavy lifting to do when it comes to reducing emissions. And a lot of farmers were looking to this budget. Yes, the cap is two years delayed. It starts in 2023. But they were looking to this budget to see, you know, policy initiatives, to see how they could be part of the solution instead of very often being seen as of part of the problem or the problem. Mm. And this budget offered nothing except now, of course, it did roll over the schemes, to be fair. Whatever was in place has been kept in place and that's not nothing. But there was nothing new. There was nothing in this that, that showed farmers that they could play their role. Mm. And in terms the flat rate vat, as I said, it's a 0.1% change but it means a lot to farmers, around 7 million. But the big one is the carbon tax. And the rationale for carbon tax is we put this tax on certain products so that, and it's not just farmers, it's right Mm. across the board, that the rest of us change our behaviour, basically. And one and a half billion has come from carbon tax, uh, which should be going to farmers, shouldn't it? Well, one third of it. One and a half billion between now and 2030. Yeah. But their share for this year or the coming year is 49 million. And that has been deferred to uh, social welfare. Now, deferred, I mean, and they promised, yes, mm. farmers will get it, it will come back to them. But what kind of message is that giving? No. The money is being collected. Mm. That part of it is for agriculture for farmers, and yet not being given to the sector this year. Right. I I, I think a lot of people are probably confused. This is 49 million euro, which was to help incentivise 
farmers to take up schemes uh, that uh, would uh, use decarbonising practices to make farming green uh, and that money would be there to help that transition, as you called it. Uh, it was to be ring-fenced, was it? Yes, you've said it perfectly in that sentence, Michael. So how, how, how can you defer money that's ring-fenced? Well, now, that's a question somebody else has to answer, and I believe the answer we got was that, and I'm quoting now from another publication, was that um, the, the department had sufficient resources to do what it needed to do, and that it was a matter, I think, of scheduling or timing. And I just, my question to the Taunashti yesterday, one of my questions was, and I think you might have played it, was there no programmes? Was there nothing in place? I mean, it's, it's not an issue for people maybe in Lago needs, but you mm. go to the Midlands, and as I said, we're importing people from Latvia, and yes, we're telling people there's going to be a just transition. I think there is, not a full realisation in the general public of what's expected of farmers. And if I could just maybe take one minute to, to explain. Mm. Each one of us has a responsibility to decarbonise and different sectors, whether it's transport or agriculture, have responsibility. But let's say you're a truck driver and somebody else is a farmer. Now, if you're a truck driver, uh, your sector will have to decarbonise and the costs, of course, will be passed on to customers, to consumers, because that's how it is. But if you're a farmer, an individual, think about the man right now who's out there in his field doing whatever he's doing, or the woman, uh, they have a personal, an individual responsibility uh, to cut back on emissions. Mm. And how do they do that? The only way they can do that is support from government because mm. there's a cost to everything and farmers' incomes are among the lowest in the country in general, not, not everyone I understand that mm. so in some way if government support allows them to decarbonise and we're all being told the cap will deliver, the cap will deliver but the cap mm. doesn't start in 2023 and farmers uh, not just a commitment but a responsibility to start that process in immediately and to be doing it now and just there was nothing in the budget okay. as I said agriculture was ghosted Can I just check myself uh, that I understand this properly um, let's take a bag of coal for example it's 90 cents that's been put on a, a bag of coal isn't it, in, in carbon tax something like that uh, and the idea is that the government gets all of those 90 cents puts them all together and then spends that money on initiatives that will help reduce emissions. Uh, 49 million would go to farming to help farming be greener. Uh, but the 49 million isn't going to farming, it's going back to welfare to help pay for the additional fuel allowance to buy the bag of coal, which is costing the euro. Is that it? That's, that's exactly right. Now, they say it will come back over the next few years, but all of us know that promises are not always kept. And so I questioned the, the tonish the yesterday. He said to me, yes, but farmers will get the same uh, positive impact from increased fuel allowances, everyone else. And he's right. He's not wrong. But where there is no understanding is that farmers have 
a much heavier burden to carry when it comes to decarbonising. We all have to bear the uh, impact, if you like, of carbon tax. For those who are on lower income, there is, uh, whether it's the fuel allowance or whatever, it's some help. It's maybe Mm. not enough, but it's some help. But for farmers, it's totally separate. In order to earn their income, they have significant costs in order to decarbonise. And an example I've used is this, Michael. Mm. If you're a truck driver, now you're in a sector that has to decarbonise, but if you earn, let's say, 800 euro a week, nobody is going to come to you and say, well, we take a quarter of your income, 200 euro, and that will have to be used to decarbonise the sector, uh, otherwise you're going to lose income. But that's being told to farmers in the new cap because a quarter of their, what we call, or used to call, the single farm payment is going to eco-schemes that helps them to decarbonise and there's cost. So the point I make here is this. The cost to rural people and to farmers in particular to decarbonise, to cut down on emissions, in simple language, is much more significant than elsewhere. The actual cost, the back pocket, the 5, the 10, the 20 euro in the back pocket, and yesterday's budget did nothing to help those people. Okay. It's a peculiar sort of story, it has to be said. Uh, I'm sure uh, farmers are, are very well aware of everything that you've uh, said, uh, but uh, may uh, come as a, a surprise, uh, I think, uh, to the non-farming community. Hard to understand. The government says it's committed to, to holding on to this money and giving it over to farmers sometime between 2023 and 2030 uh, when uh, the cap reforms come into play. But... Uh, let's hope uh, they remember to do that and uh, we leave it there and that's, thank you. That's part of the problem, yeah. Michael. Mm. I think that, you know, you maybe heard the expression, I don't know, live horse and get grass, you know. Mm. Mm. Um, you'll get it in the future. But, but farmers are expected to cut down on carbon emissions this year. And, and we all know this. It's not as if this comes as a big surprise. Mm. So here we have a pot of money, 49 million and the department have no programs, no plans that that money can be used in a sector that has to do much of the heavy lifting in cutting emissions. Peculiar, as I say. Nice to talk to you, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us again. Uh, that's Independent TD for Sligo Leitrim, Marion Harkin. Michael Reed on LMFM. A text to us uh, from uh, somebody who has uh, signed it with arrows and equals marks and a plus and an M uh, and all sorts of things. Uh, We'll say thank you M uh, and all of the other things uh, for your text uh, who says the pubs and restaurants will be a happier place if you're not in them you arrogant man. Uh, That's me I think. Uh, I've never heard such ignorance and pig-headedness in my life. What happened to your tripe of my body, my choice? You're full of it. Uh, And I'm not anti-vax, by the way. Thanks, uh, M, star, plus, uh, all of that stuff. Uh, Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Actually, do you know what? I might go for a pint this evening. Uh, I think I might uh, go out for my dinner. It's a very nice place uh, I know locally that I might go for my dinner tomorrow. Uh, I think it's to rain tomorrow. Probably be looking at uh, people uh, who can't get in because they haven't been vaccinated. 
Uh, if they are allowed in from the 22nd of October, uh, I don't think I'll go into anywhere. It would be wouldn't want to mingle with those people. Uh, somebody else uh, says, ask Peter Tobin where the country would be if uh, the majority of us decided to be selfish and not get vaccinated. Uh, somebody else says, give it a rest, lads. I thought by listening to the radio that over 90% of people are vaccinated, so please explain how the hell the numbers are higher than ever before. Yeah, uh, I think that's the question everybody is asking. Thank you indeed uh, for texting us uh, as well. And somebody else in touch with us about the budget. All the talk about the budget when the last piece of the last lockdown was lifted. The local butcher was selling five chicken fillets for a fiver, three strip loin steaks for 10 euro. When lockdown was lifted, the fillets went up 50 cents. The steaks went up two euro. My income is 258 euro. The real budget didn't help, yet it's going to be a long and hard winter. Uh, text then from Jerry in Wilkinstown says, Is it fair that pubs and nightclubs and anywhere that young people go to be stopped by anti-vaxxers and people refusing to get vaccinated from reopening. It looks like that's the way uh, it's going to be, uh, says uh, Jerry. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people will be hoping that you're wrong. No decision made as yet, but uh, obviously there were a lot of questions about this in the Dáil yesterday as well. Reopening, further full reopening, 22nd of October, and in the context where we've seen 43% rise in COVID cases in the last week, we find... Uh, two-thirds of all cases are now for people less than between under 44 years of age. Uh, and we find that 10% of the people now being hospitalised, sorry, 10% of the population are driving 50% of admissions into hospitals, that the majority of people have been a bit are now unvaccinated. In that context, can I ask you, Minister, uh, to answer uh, three questions. Number one, in terms of the toolkit, uh, Professor Mary Horgan is heading up an export advisory group on rapid testing. Where is that report? Uh, we need to get that rolling. It's something we in the Transport Committee want to see happening in terms of rapid antigen testing, part of the toolkit. Secondly, there are 370,000 people now unvaccinated. 300,000 of those are not vaccinated, all their adults. 70,000 second dose. What are we doing in a public Thank campaign you. get them vaccinated? And finally, Minister, finally, Tarnister, the COVID cert, will that be extended Thank beyond you. the 22nd? I suppose they're the questions a lot of you have been asking us uh, this morning. Let's hear the answer from uh, the Tarnished uh, to Finnegal TD, Kieran O'Donnell there. We haven't made any decisions yet in relation to uh, the planned easing uh, of restrictions on the 22nd of October. We'll do that uh, in the early part of next week, probably on Monday or Tuesday. Um, uh, and we'll have more data and a better read on the epidemiological situation between uh, between now and then. But no decisions are, are yet made uh, in that regard. Um, and um, uh, we'll have to give consideration uh, as we see more data over the next few days. Um, I would say that the, the vaccine booster program is now progressing. Um, we're waiting on advice from NIAC, and I hope that comes very soon in relation to a wider booster program, because uh, we know in Israel, um, uh, where they had a, a, a return of Delta, um, they got that return of Delta back down again and under control through a very extensive booster program, and I think the case for that is stronger than ever. Um, I don't know when, when the rapid testing report is due, but I will find out and get back to you about that. And finally, just in relation to people who aren't vaccinated uh, yet, um, vaccines are still available. Um, and vaccine centres are still open. Uh, it is a personal choice, but uh, the truth is, if people, if everyone was fully vaccinated in Ireland, we'd probably have about 25 in ICU today and maybe 200 in hospital, and there wouldn't be any question about uh, easing restrictions on the 22nd. So it is a personal choice, but it does have an impact on other people. Mm, there you have it. 
speaks for itself, doesn't it? Uh, and uh, perhaps uh, apart uh, from uh, how much better things would be if everybody was vaccinated, uh, the Tanisha also answered a question that has come in to us from a texter about Israel suffering badly despite uh, the high number of people vaccinated. That was the case, as he said. Uh, big booster programme there has turned that in its head and now uh, they're seeing great results uh, as a result of uh, those boosters. Uh, another text uh, to us uh, saying the HSE can downsize Navin Hospital if it costs too much, but they simply can't close the emergency department. What if someone has a heart attack? Every second counts. So if Navin emergency is closed, will the nearest hospital now be Drogheda? Every second counts and the patient will be dead and fit for the slab before they even reach the hospital if those plans go ahead. The HSE and the government have a duty of care towards us. Closing Navin Hospital cannot be allowed to happen, says our caller. Tony is in County Loud that he's been texting us and he says, Michael, I know you feel the right to put some subjects in dramatic terms for effect, but I do think this morning you came very close to inciting violence against those making a different choice than yours. I would urge you to be careful not to do that. You know how easily led some people are and you hold a more powerful position than maybe you realise. Thanks uh, Tony and Lauda. I certainly wouldn't have uh, thought it was that dramatic. I just think that uh, there's people who won't hear common sense and are are getting on the internet and uh, maybe uh, instead of all the other things we suggested, uh, maybe the solution would be that you're barred from the internet if you don't get vaccinated. <laughs> what, what would people do? Uh, they wouldn't have all of these conspiracy theories to talk about, you know, about, um, oh, they're trying to kill us and all of that. They're trying to put microchips into us. Uh, apparently they're in the vaccines and when they inject the vaccine into you, they also stick in slyly a little microchip that follows you around. Um, maybe if they weren't reading that on the internet, uh, they'd be a, a little bit more informed. Uh, they'd get their information from credible sources. Uh, and maybe, maybe, maybe uh, they'd see things in a different light. So maybe the solution is ban people who won't get vaccinated from using the internet. I'm not sure what you think, but you're more than welcome to let us know. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. There was a, a really bitter exchange in the doll yesterday. It started off like this. Instead of dealing with the issue, you went on the attack. You avoided, misdirected and misrepresented. And look, you may think that this kind of belligerent approach is good for your self-satisfaction ratings. But what it actually confirms, Tonishta, is that you have no empathy. You lack that basic human ability to put yourself in the shoes of other people enduring hardship. And why would you? You, more than any other politician in government, are directly responsible for that hardship. Right, uh, that was Sinn Féin's Ono Brin, who was rubbing uh, the tarnished uh, Leo Bradker's nose in it. Thanks, Deputy. Um, it's a little bit hard to hear uh, anyone in Sinn Féin accusing anyone in the government of misrepresentation. Uh, misrepresentation, misquotes telling us what we think, telling us what we believe, and then criticising us for what you say we think and what we say we believe is classic Sinn Féin tactics. It is misrepresentation all the time. Uh, it's the thing that you thrive on. Um, and I think, I think it's beneath you, actually, um, because you're an intelligent person. You're an intelligent person. You're one, of, you're one of the brighter people in your party. And to engage in a personalised attack on me, I think, is actually beneath you. Um, I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong. Um, and it is classic of the left populism. Uh, which your party stands for. Um, It's about uh, creating ideas of the masses against the elites. It's about simple solutions to complex problems. And it's about demonising your opponents. 
Indeed, uh, there were personal attacks going both ways in uh, the doll between Sinn Féin and uh, Fine Gael yesterday. Not just personal attacks, but uh, attacks as well on each other's parties. Can call you, you, you might you might give me the indulgence of a little, of allowing me a little bit of extra time because my time was taken by by Sinn Fein. And this went on and on and on back and forth until eventually it descended into complete chaos. And as well as that, we've brought in a rent freeze in, uh, rent freeze in real terms, uh, uh, making sure the rents can't go up by more than rate in the rate inflation. And we may and we may and we may oh, modify deputy, that again deputy, to bring that figure down low. Deputy, deputy, deputy. This is the National Parliament. Deputy, Deputy, please, could, could we have... If you could finish, Tarnish, I'd Well, you heard mention about rent and all of that, uh, which uh, might give you a clue that they were actually meant to be talking about housing and uh, the housing crisis and rent and what was done for renters in the budget and so on, uh, but the discussion was about completely different things. Michael Brennan is uh, the Sunday Business Post's political editor. A very good morning to you, Michael. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, That type of debate is becoming commonplace, isn't it? It is, Michael, and good morning to you and your listeners. Yeah, we're, we're hearing a lot of those very touchy exchanges uh, between Sinn Féin and, and the government parties in, in recent weeks. I think some of it is driven by the government parties can see Sinn Féin is doing very well in opinion polls. It's, it's widely thought they have a great chance of being in the next government and therefore they're attacking Sinn Féin. But Sinn Féin then are, are, are in, engaging in very, very personalised attacks as well on Taoiseach Michal Martin and Leo Vradker, the Thornist in particular, and also Darrell O'Brien, the Minister for Housing. They are probably their three top targets. Mm. Are we seeing election campaigning play out in the Dáil long before an election is planned, at least? That type of negative campaigning that we would have thought existed only in places like America in the past? Yeah, I, I think so to some extent, Michael. I also think you can't discount the uh, impact of social media. You might have heard the, the clip that your researchers uh, wisely pulled out there at the end where you could hear all that shouting. And what was happening there was in the Dáil Chamber. Leo Radker was trying to um, he was trying to get across a clip of him attacking Sinn Féin and their housing policy. But Ono Brin, the Sinn Féin housing spokesman, kind of knew what, what Leo Radker was at and he kept shouting back to interrupt and ruin his social media clip. So some of these attacks are actually trying to create social media clips really? that each yeah. party can caption. So we're not and running the country, we're staging a, a, a film as such to go out on social media. Yeah, it, uh, people would have said to me that they, if you actually see in the old footage of the doll uh, that used to exist back in the, the pre-social media era, era, you have politicians wandering around the chamber and tapping each other in the back and they're not conscious of the cameras <laughs> at the time. There was only a, the, the standard uh, a couple of doll cameras. Now they're very much conscious of it and how you can use the footage to uh, to attack and dare I say demonise your opponents and, uh, and, you, and, and put it on a, to a much wider audience than, than is watching live at the time. Okay, and there were uh, budget speeches in uh, the Dáil this week. We heard a, a little bit of uh, Micheál Martin's, uh, but it was interesting uh, to hear uh, such a, a big portion of uh, the Taoiseach's speech about the budget, and indeed the Tarnish's speech 
about the budget uh, because both of them use a good portion of their time to talk about Sinn Féin and what Sinn Féin would have done if it was in government and how Sinn Féin would have destroyed the country if it was in government instead of talking up the positives of the budget. Yeah, it's it's ironic, I suppose, if you remember back a couple of weeks ago, the Fianna Fáil review of the party's uh, problems in the general election came out, and one of the complaints in their view was they had spent too much time attacking Sinn Féin and not enough time in their own policy. But I suppose the Taoiseach felt he, he needed to uh, have a go back at Sinn Féin because they, they are trying to effectively destroy the credibility of, of this budget as the lead opposition party, and he's trying to obviously maintain the credibility of the budget. So... The only concern I would have is you could hear the bitterness in the row there between Owen O'Brien and Leo Vradker. Vradker was genuinely hurt. I don't think Owen O'Brien was very comfortable either in delivering that attack. And you heard Vradker say at one point, you know, I think this is beneath you, Deputy O'Brien. You're one of the bright people in your party. So... I think I think it's 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 a shame when 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 it descends to a, a kind of all out uh, you know bear fight in in the doll, and also with a Laskian core there on Thursday is Catherine Connolly who finds it difficult to keep order, and that also allows uh, allows them to go off the reservation a good bit. Did they take advantage of that? Do you think? Oh, they certainly do. Yeah, <laughs> okay. they certainly do. Uh, Sean O'Farrell has his own difficulties as Ken Corla, mm. but generally the the rows uh, maybe don't escalate to. The the same level when when he's there. Okay, is anybody in particular more guilty than anybody else, or are they all equally guilty of this? I I think there there are times when when people on the government side will you know will make very cutting personal remarks about Sinn Fein TDs and and vice versa when you were Sinn Fein taking government minister on a very personal level. I say if you're to give a score draw, Sinn Fein at the moment are certainly you know personalising a lot more of the stuff. Um, but then they will argue that that's what their voters want. They want to see people tackling the government and and taking them on. But it has it is certainly it's it's a quite an intense level over the last couple of weeks and some of that by the way is that the Dáil Chamber is back and they're now going eyeball to eyeball whereas when they were in the National Convention Centre they were shouting across maybe 50 metres which is is a bit harder to do. So good uh, I I take it then for people who enjoy the sport of uh, politics uh, but not so good for people who uh, look to politics uh, for uh, a better country to live in. Yeah, no, I think generally it leaves a sour taste in the mouth because, you know, look, Leo Varadkar brought up Trumpism and so on, and hopefully we're a long way off that, but we certainly don't want a few years down the line to people uh, storming the doll and all the rest of it, and, uh, you know, we'd definitely like to avoid that kind of scenario. Okay, Michael, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's Michael Brennan, who's uh, the political editor for the Sunday Business Post, who brings our programme to its conclusion today. Our time has run out on us once again. I hope you've had a lovely weekend, and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.